The, my idea of prosperity changed a lot over the years, but certainly from my younger days, it would have been a lot about status, success, money, for sure. I don't think those are bad things. I think sometimes they get a bad rep. And um, I think we have to be careful sometimes in the way we, we look at those things because it's not a bad thing to have money. It's the way you use it and that's important. But I do think that my mindset on prosperity has completely changed over the last few years as I've been meditating more and more in my daily practice. And now what I see it as is the depth of relationships. That's how I've become to look at prosperity. Mm-hmm. The depth of the relationships that I have around me, whether it's my family, whether it's with my network, or whether it's with my, my friends. And I've come to realize that the depth of my friendships and depths of the relationships that I've built are really how I'm able to measure if I'm prosperous. You're listening to the Money and Meaning Podcast, where we chronicle the search for meaning over money. I'm your host, Kenei Porter, National Certified Counselor and the world's number one financial hypnotherapist. This podcast is the mission-driven CEO's guide to wealth without burnout, guilt, or greed. So let's get into today's show. I want to show you how to have a brain-based, heart-centered approach to leadership and service so you can create a higher producing, more productive team. But I have a question for you. Do you want to learn the five things every Gen X and baby boomer CEO needs to know to build a millennial dream team? You'll get it in this masterclass. This masterclass will help you change the company culture, get your team ready for change, and be more productive and higher producing. And you'll get there by answering a few questions. Now, let me explain. Hard work is no longer the key to success, and millennials are well aware of this fact. They aren't willing to work hard, but they're willing to work smart, or work consistently, but what they're most interested in is working well. They have to believe in the mission and see how they fit in to the bigger picture, but you've got to show them. So in this search for meaning over money masterclass, I'll give you the five questions you must have the answers to and articulate to your team to not only motivate, but them into action. So if you are interested in doing just that, then you need to click the link in the show notes and register for our upcoming search for meaning over money masterclass. Build the millennial dream team that's going to take your company to number one in your industry. Start by registering for the search for meaning over money masterclass. And I'll see you there. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about managing yourself and your business through market uncertainty. Now, this episode, it may come off a little bit like a coaching session because our guest today is a scaling up certified coach. 
and he's a business mentor. We'll give you some takeaways and some tips, classic ones though, that you can always use no matter what is happening. But we want to make sure that you feel safe and secure even when markets are uncertain. We'll help you manage your stress, yourself, and your business during market uncertainty. So our guest today is Sean Joel. He is an EO CEO who is dedicated to helping other CEOs and entrepreneurs find happiness and success. Sean is the co-founder of Dow Lighting Inc., an LED lighting business that implemented the scaling up growth system in 2013 and more than three times their revenues. As a Scaling Up Certified Coach, Sean is currently working with several entrepreneurs and their businesses to help accelerate their growth while finding personal balance and happiness in his newest business, Elevation. Sean also has a passion for endurance sports and it fuels his daily routine. He believes that the discipline you need to overcome athletic challenges is the same discipline needed for business success. So I am ready to get started talking about mindset and discipline and business success. I know you are. So please join me in welcoming our guest today, Sean Johal. Hey, Sean. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. Good. So what is life like over in Montreal right now? It's an interesting time, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, we are talking right now in the beginning part of April and our province and Montreal, our city is basically shut down uh, Mm. due to the virus right now. So the majority Mm -hmm. of businesses that are non-essential are closed and they will be closed until April 13th. So it's a different way of life right now, completely never experienced this before. Yeah. So guys, at the time of this recording, we're just in the middle, I guess we are the middle of this COVID-19 experience. So a lot of what we're talking about will be what you can do during times of uncertainty, like what we're dealing with now. But across the board, you'll be able to use them in your businesses. Even when times aren't certain, you still need to have sound decision-making skills. So before we get deep into that, Sean, I'd like to ask you, what is your idea of prosperity? It's a great question, Kine. The My idea of prosperity changed a lot over the years. Uh, certainly from my younger days, it would have been a lot about status, success, money, for sure. I don't think those are bad things. I think sometimes they get a bad rep. And mm-hmm. um, I think we have to be careful sometimes in the way we, we look at those things because it's not a bad thing to have money. It's the way you use it. And that's important. But I do think that my mindset on prosperity has completely changed over the last few years uh, as I've been meditating more and more in my daily practice. And now what I see it as is the depth of relationships. That's how I've become to look at prosperity, Mm -hmm. the depth of the relationships that I have around me, whether it's my family, whether it's in my network or whether it's with my my friends. Um, I've come to realize that the depth of my friendships and depths of the relationships that I've built are really how I'm able to measure if I'm prosperous. Hmm, yeah. So is the depth of your relationships kind of how you find happiness during times of crisis like this? Absolutely. I've been leaning on my network incredibly. I do try to make efforts to make sure I'm giving back as much as I'm taking. It's always a danger in times like these to take, take, take. And I think it's important to Mm. give back as much as possible. 
I have just an incredible network through EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization. I have three different groups. So it's, it's, I'm not only privileged to have one group, I have three very distinctive groups of individuals who I can rely on and talk to. We've been talking several times a day, whether it's via WhatsApp and text, we've been doing Zoom calls, we've been having phone calls. The, the, the support has just been unbelievable. And I'm extremely thankful for, for that network, that's for sure. Hmm, tell me more. When you say you have three different groups, what do you mean by that? So my first group is what we call our local forum. So when you join the Entrepreneurs Organization, after a few weeks within the organization, you look for a group of like-minded individuals who you'll be able to share with. You can't have anybody in your group who's a customer or a client or a competitor. And so you end up being with people from various industries that are completely unrelated to yours. For example, as you mentioned earlier, I have a couple of businesses. One of them is LED lighting. Um, in my group, I have somebody who does web architecture. I have somebody who's in cell phone accessories. Another member does healthy food. The, the industries don't really matter. What matters mm -hmm. is that we get to, together once a month and we have the opportunity to share business experiences. We'll share opportunities, challenges, obstacles, We'll give presentations, we'll give updates on what's happening in our daily lives. And by doing this every single month you know, for four hour periods, we end up developing very, very strong, close bonds. In many ways, they become your closest friends and almost a personal board of advisors in many ways. I can tell you that during the current crisis, we've been speaking two to three to four times per day as a group, sharing resources to help our employees, sharing resources on cost cutting. You know, how to, how to lay off people, how to pivot your business for what's about to come. And it's been just incredible in terms of the feedback I've been able to give and receive. Uh, I'm really, wow. really blessed. So that, that's my first group. So that's one of three, <laughs> uh -huh. which is really amazing. The second group that I have is a group that we created also within the EO framework. There was this amazing program a few years ago called the Global Leadership Academy. And that's where I actually had the opportunity to meet my mentor, Warren Rustand. Uh, if ever you heard of Warren, he's, a, he's an incredible leader. At that academy, uh, we got to meet 30 people from 30 different countries, uh, which is really uh, incredible. And we spent five days together learning about emotional intelligence and business practices, learning about how to give a speech, learning about how to control you know, our, our deep, deepest emotions. And within that group, of 30 people, we're also sharing every couple of days on what's happening around the world. It's more of an international group. So I get to see what's happening in Europe and what's happening in Asia, what's happening in South America, because there are members in all of those countries. Mm -hmm. And that allows me to have a better global perspective on the crisis and everything that's happening right now. And obviously incredible sharing on that end as well. I'm blessed to have in my group, uh, Jason Z, who's actually the current chairman of EO Global, which is uh, nice because we get to get messages directly from the source. Mm -hmm. And then the third and final group is a group that coming from what we call regional leadership academies. They're all members who have been, including myself, a president of a local EO chapter. So there are seven of us in the group. We've all either been presidents or we are currently presidents of the EO chapters in our cities. And that is a Canadian group. And it, it literally ranges from the furthest west you could imagine in Canada, which is Victoria, BC. And one member is the furthest east you could imagine in Canada, which is right on the Maritimes near Halifax. And 
as a group, we get together and we're talking, I'd say daily right now, sharing positive news, mostly challenging each other, seeing if we're keeping up our nutrition habits, our, yeah. our daily, you know, our daily rituals, making sure no one takes things too, too difficult right now and, and being there to support each other. So uh, I, I honestly feel unbelievably lucky to have three groups like this that I can refer to right now. Wow, you are lucky. That is so awesome. And I love the breakdown that you have, like your local group, those people who, if you could get out, they're like right there. You can touch them if you needed to. And then your international group that's like keeping you in perspective of what's happening globally and worldwide. Because sometimes locally, we can think the world is our small little corner of the world. And no, the world is much bigger than that. And then you have your regional group, which is right there in the middle. And the great thing about the regional group, because those people have also been presidents, because you're a former president of EO, am I correct? Exactly. Yeah. And so those people who have also been presidents or currently are presidents, you guys have a different perspective on that connection. So that's really cool. I do love that a lot. We have a thing where you you choose your words. And sometimes you're choosing your word for the month, the year, certain season in your life. And I think this is a season word time of the, you know, in our lives. And so our words right now as a company are serve and receive because mm-hmm. mainly about what you said earlier. And that is there's this idea that money is bad or that going after a certain amount of it is is incorrect or wrong. And although we are focused on serving right now, we are also open to receiving right now too. And so that's what that's something that I am putting out in the world. And what you described sounds like those words. It sounds like you're serving, but you're also in groups that also serve you and where you can pour into people, but they are also pouring into you. So it's really reciprocal. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I love that you've taken that approach as well. I think it's an approach that everyone needs to take right now in your business life and your personal life. It's a situation where we need more collaboration than ever. And it's also a situation where we're going to have to make sacrifices in my coaching business. For example, the majority of my clients can't necessarily cover their costs for April, just based on the dramatic situation that we're living through. And I basically told the majority of my clients that don't worry about it. You know, the month of April is not going to be a month where you'll be receiving any invoices from me. I want to be there to support you and help you. And then we'll touch base. We're going to continue working together. And then I'm going to help you through this crisis. And at the end of April, we'll reassess for May. And at the end of May, we'll reassess for June. I will take it month by month until you feel completely comfortable that you're out of the woods because the only thing that's important right now are for those businesses to survive. And as a business coach right now, to be out there trying to make money in the short term or telling your clients that, well, you know, you have an invoice, you've done a certain amount of work, you need to get paid is not the right approach. In my opinion, I think you need to be a giver more than ever over the next few months. And I strongly believe I'm always been a big believer in karma and I, I strongly believe that it will all come back some way, somehow down the line. And that those people who show the most ability to be generous with their time and their experience and their expertise are the ones that are going to be winners in the long term. Yeah, totally. And, and it, and it brings, it made me think because, you know, you can get a check for April, but then if they go out of business, then you don't, the you forfeit the rest of those checks because you needed to get paid in April. But by giving them your service, 
through April, you have customers for life. They're never going to leave knowing how much you sacrificed it and you prioritized their business just like they did. That that's that's that care, that's that service that really makes people never forget you. Absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah. So then let me ask you, because that kind of makes me wonder, because the name of the, the certification and the framework that you use is scaling up. So can you scale your business during market uncertainty? Or is this a time you need to just focus on maintaining? Great question. I think it's very different for many companies. There's a very small portion of companies right now that are thriving. Um, just because it's the nature of their business. You know, if you're in the food industry, for example, I have one of my biggest clients who is a telemedicine company who's been just having exponential growth during this crisis. I think there are companies that during the crisis are able to continue doing very well and even growing. Obviously, most companies are in survival mode. And what happens with companies in survival mode, there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I was reading an article that was talking about different types of CEOs right now one being a fear-based CEO, mm-hmm. one being the kind of un, unfocused CEO, and the third one being a strategic CEO. And obviously, as you can imagine, a lot of the literature on that article said that being a strategic CEO is where you want to be right now, a meaning that, yes, there are some very difficult decisions to make in your business. You need to be finding the best way to take care of your employees There might still be layoffs and there might be job losses, but there's a humane way of doing it. And there's a way to protect certain of your employees, but costs will have to be cut. Difficult decisions will have to be made. And it is sometimes the natural tendency to become unfocused or become fear-based in a time like this and not think about growth and not think about how the business needs to pivot. I think that the strategic CEOs out there, those entrepreneurs who are able to look ahead, look long-term, not just get caught up in the day-to-day, fix the day-to-day, but get mm. keep your mind on the bigger picture, the bigger vision. Those are the ones that are going to end up being the biggest winners at the end. I think it's easy right now. A, a buzzword I've been hearing a lot over the last few days is you know going virtual and going online. I don't think that's the simple solution for a lot of businesses. It's not all of a sudden now with this crisis that everybody just needs to be online. That's not a realistic way of looking at it. Um, Your business can pivot in a tremendous amount of different ways. There's going to be tons of needs, tons of requests coming out of this uh, recession that we might live through over the next few months. And the key for business owners is to really look at all of the opportunities, not just virtual or online opportunities, all of the opportunities, the new revenue streams that will be out there for their business that could make sense. So to give you an example, right now, I know that the Canadian government is going to be helping a lot of people in terms of salary. They've announced where they'll be paying 75% of most people's salaries for a couple of months. And so there might not be that much work for people like that, even though they're getting paid by the government to essentially stay isolated in many cases. One thing that I've recommended to a lot of my clients is you should try and think about creating something that we like to call innovation circles in your business where you take a dedicated team of three or four or five people and you have them brainstorm several hours per week on all of the new innovative creative ways they can help grow the business, find new revenue opportunities and let them bring those ideas back. It shouldn't just be comprised of upper management, by the way, it should be Mm. all the strongest, most creative people you have in your business 
get those people talking virtually right now and have them speak about you know what what the business can do to pivot and be stronger than ever before once we get out of the crisis because we will get out of this crisis eventually yes yeah i want to go back a little bit to something you said and we have a business model where we teach CEOs, because part of what we do is stress management for CEOs and high achievers. And we teach CEOs two things. And one is to have an online version or some kind of online presence. And then that is income generating. And then two, some sort of subscription base. So those are two things that we teach every CEO to have so that when this kind of thing happens, even if it goes down, you have some income still coming in. So what? let me give you an example of that. So I teach meditation. And so my meditation classes are just online. People can buy them and I don't have to do them anymore. I did them once and now I get paid over and over and over again. And that's an online version of me. It's a very low cost version of me, but that's that one is we're looking at numbers. We're hoping that you know, more people purchase it than my one-on-one talks and conversations. That is something we teach every CEO to create. However, we work with a lot of service-based CEOs, not as many product-based CEOs. So I brought that up to say, do you feel like there is a difference when you're coaching a product-based CEO? So than rather than a service-based CEO or a company? Absolutely. They're, they're important differences. And it's funny, I did have, I have a mix of clients in both. I have about 17 different business clients uh, that I work with right now today. That number goes uh, up and down and changes and fluctuates uh, every few months. But for the moment, there's about 17 different companies. And obviously, they're touching all different markets. Some of them are very service-based and some of them are very product-based. Mm-hmm. So definitely, there, there's a complete difference in the way they run their businesses, in their business models, in their business philosophy, in their innovation and product development and service development, things are, are quite different in terms of the way they view their markets. But some of them are already very well set up to do mm-hmm. something similar to what you said. There is a very big distinction also between the different types of CEOs out there. And obviously, you're someone who's incredibly known out there in terms of you know your platform and, and you have meditation classes and you have a brand, a personal mm-hmm. brand. What I've come to notice, and I always try to make that distinction, there are some CEOs that are made for that and that are really mm-hmm. good at embracing that role. But there are other CEOs who are just as charismatic. I like, I like to, to make that distinction. I don't think charisma means that you're an extrovert. I think uh, charisma goes much, much deeper than that. It's all about how you make people feel. Mm -hmm. And there are some amazing CEOs that are not people who want to build a brand around themselves or don't necessarily want to be themselves on any type of platform teaching necessarily what they do. They want to keep that more internally focused and and doing what they like to do directly with their teams and their networks. So for me, it's always important of making that distinction and understanding where the strengths lie within each CEO and each entrepreneur. And making mm-hmm. sure they maximize those to their best, the best of their capabilities. Of course, I, I always encourage entrepreneurs and CEOs to become thought leaders in any of their markets, specific markets. And they mm-hmm. don't, you don't have to be doing videos and have to be out there to do that. There are other ways of doing that through articles um, and through you know some interviews and things like that without being the main person out there promoting yourself. But mm-hmm. I think it really depends on the type of entrepreneur and 
customizing a solution for them. Mm, yeah, I like I like how you said that, and I mainly like it because being a brand myself is actually difficult for me because I am an intro I am an introvert, like diehard introvert. This social distancing thing didn't bother me a bit. I could stay <laughs> in the house for weeks before I even noticed it. So, so it is actually work. So I, I totally understand and agree with you that every CEO is not going to be cut out for it because if you can't bring yourself to be in the, the limelight, I guess you would say, it could take too much out of you to do it. You can, you could serve in better ways. You know, you can serve your company and yourself in different ways because what I do could be considered stressful for some people, if that introvert, because I think I would probably be considered somewhere in the middle. Like I am a diehard introvert, but I know how to play like an extrovert. Sure. My sister is a oof, diehard extrovert and I just, her name's Kalisa. And so I just like go into my inner Kalisa and I turn into the <laughs> extrovert. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love that you can tap into that. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to talk more about was these innovation circles where you said to tap into the strongest people in the business. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the upper management. You can tap into people who are even entry level if they have this innovative mindset. So what is that mindset? Who who would be good for these circles? Absolutely. Great question. I spend a lot of time when I work with my clients, understanding their entire teams whether they have 40 people or whether they have 400 people, a very specific system that allows us to basically on a quarterly basis, go through every single team member and understand some of the key parts of what they're doing and ensuring that they are following the company values, uh, that they fit the company culture. So for me, values and culture are extremely important. We always look mm -hmm. at attitude over aptitude. And we always want to make sure that the person is a culture fit and a value fit before all else. And those are the type of people we want to include above all else. Someone who really understands where the company is going, the company's vision, buys into it. So not just understands it, but buys into it and really feels a sense of uh, ownership and a sense of loyalty to the business. And so that would be the first criteria. The next thing that you look at is productivity versus values on a, on a specific axe. So if you were imagining looking right now at a graph and on the left, Going from top to bottom, you'd have the values axe and going from uh, left to right, you'd have the productivity axe. You know, we consider what we the, the name we, we end up calling them are A players, right? So an A player is someone who shows complete you know, belief in the values of the company combined with very high level performance and productivity. So that would be what we consider an A player. That's someone you want to clone. So what I tell entrepreneurs, I say, and every time we do this exercise, Kine, mm -hmm. I can tell you that people pop, jump right up into their minds. Every single time I do this with any entrepreneur, whether he has 300 employees or he has 30, when I describe, I say, tell me someone you, you want to clone in this business. Someone mm -hmm. who's just incredible. And then you'll hear a name, for example, Max. Oh, yeah. I'd love, if I could have 10 Maxes in this business, <laughs> you know, we'd, our business would be just 10 times bigger. We'd be, we'd be soaring. I said, okay, so Max is the type of person you want in your innovation circle. You know, it doesn't have to be someone who's, I, I don't really care about the department they're in, the type of job they have, how high or how, you know, the senior they are in the business. That doesn't matter. What you want to do is you want to take your most creative, culture-focused people, people you want to clone, people you trust, 
and let them thrive in that circle. Put them in a circle with other bright minds in the business. And oftentimes we'll see incredible results from that. And now you're empowering people as well. So there is a sense of empowerment and you are sending a message to your entire business to say, it's not just senior leadership that are making the decisions in our business. We're taking the most dedicated employees, the most creative, dedicated, smartest employees throughout all layers of the business. And we want them to come up with the best ideas for us moving forward. And I agree with you. That's true. Like everybody does have that person in the company that they wish they could clone. And mm-hmm. and it's like, mm, yeah, I remember when I was in, I think I was still in high school when this happened, but my sister is a hairstylist. I talked about her earlier. She's a hairstylist and she worked at a pretty big salon and it was, and I was her assistant at the time, but it was clear which assistants people saw value in because we would always get called on. It's like, oh, can you help can you help me with this client? Can you help me with this person? It's like, hold on, I can only help so many people. <laughs> but when it came down to it, when it came time for the business to to accelerate, those were the people that got, even though we weren't licensed, we I was just in high school and I was just an assistant, but we got the promotions because we were working really hard. And and I don't even know that it, we were working really hard, but it was kind of like the max you described. We were we had our hands and things and we were innovative and we came up with good ideas. And both of us were really bold in the way that we approached our positions, even though we were both in high school. And and it's funny that when you were talking, it brought me back that far because I am so far from high school right now. <laughs> <laughs> we, won't, we won't mention the years. We won't mention the years. Right? <laughs> but it, it's funny that it brought me all the way back there because it really seems like that's inborn, right? That's not something you train. Max get trained that way. Max came to the company that way. Am I right? Well, it's a great question. And I've been having this discussion with a lot of people about developing versus natural ability Okay. Um, I think I think I think first of all, I, I do agree that Max came with some definite qualities that were inbred and that were part of his makeup. Um, at the same time, you know, Max is a real person, by the way. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> in my business in our LED lighting business, he's you know one of our strongest uh, stars and always has been. Uh, if you listen to this one day, he's going to expect a raise or something. <laughs> but, you know, people like Max. So let me say let me say it that way. When your business. One thing that I teach all my clients, which is so important, is the way their hiring process works. And you have to have a hiring process in your business that allows you to attract those type of people. Um, How do you attract people that are going to fit your company? First of all, you have to determine your company values and your company culture above all else. If you Mm -hmm. haven't made that determination, how do you expect to bring on board people who fit your values and your culture? It's impossible, obviously. So the first step is to obviously build a system where your values and culture are super clear. Though the biggest word, and this comes from obviously Simon Sinek, but you know, finding your why and start with why being his most influential book. You do want to explain to candidates the why of the business. Why does this business exist? And it's not the same as a mission or value. It's really the why the company exists. And if it closed tomorrow, why would that hurt really? to your clients and to the people using your services or products. Once you determine your values and your culture and your why, you can start your hiring process. And in your hiring process, what should happen is you should be using other maxes part of the interview process. 
So what I always explain to my clients is that you shouldn't just have one hiring manager hiring people because now you're only going to be limiting yourself to that one person's opinion, which could be very flawed in many cases, as good as they are. And so you want to make sure in the system that I bring to my clients, they have five different people at different points interviewing the candidate. And that way you can really be sure that you're bringing on the right type of candidates. Another thing that I highly recommend is when you write your job descriptions for the type of candidates you're looking for, you should be writing something called what success looks like for that candidate. And that should be done on six months and on 12 months. This was an amazing trick that I learned from good friend, Robert Glazer at Acceleration Partners. He, uh, he shared this trick with us and it's been just incredible as I've been sharing with my clients. When you tell a potential candidate in six months, here's what success looks like. And you tell them in the future tense what they're going to have accomplished. So it's as if it's already been done. Mm -hmm. The clarity of vision that it gives them, the understanding that it gives them of what your business is trying to accomplish is incredible. And you'll often both weed out the wrong type of candidates and you'll often attract the right type of candidates by doing that type of exercise. So that's something that I've encouraged all my network to do in their job descriptions and especially my clients. Have a section that's called what success looks like in six months, what success looks like in 12 months, And that way you're attracting candidates like Max to your business. Once a Max comes into your business, I do think you do have a very big job to ensure that they're developing because it's very hard to know that even if you find a really amazing candidate, are they going to be a true A player? You can't determine that from day one. I think Mm. it's, I think it's almost impossible. After that, it's all about the way your business is designed to develop A players. How are you developing them every day, every week, every month, every year? and turning them into absolute super superstars. That's your role as an entrepreneur, is to take yeah. someone who's, who's good, who's average to good, and turn them into an exceptional, uh, not just employee, but I, I personally think helping them become an exceptional person as well. Yeah, and one thing I, I like about the six-month, 12-month thing, it's really good for the entrepreneur. It's good for the maxes that are getting hired to understand what is expected of them and what success looks like. But it's also good for the entrepreneur, the CEO, to see when that time frame and what, what success will look like. Because sometimes we can get lost and off focus or we expect things to happen faster than they really are going to happen. And this is a good way to manage yourself while this is in process. Because Absolutely. yeah, six months. So managing expectations. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I like to recap what we're what we've been talking about, and so far we've said, you know, really managing yourself and your business during these times of crisis come with something you're doing really well, and that is you really leaning on your network and giving as well as receiving. You know, being open to. To receiving because nothing is bad about receiving, but be totally open to giving as well. And it sounds even like it's a good idea to have a diverse network. So you're not just leaning on one group of people, but you have different groups that you can lean on and who have a different understanding of you than other groups do. And we talked a lot about business, but I know that EO helps personally as well. And so I would say if you don't have a group that if, you, if you're in a group that specifically people only know you professionally, then having a group where people know you personally as well, it can help you manage some of that stress 
too. Then Absolutely. there's the fear-based, focus-based, and the strategic-based CEO. And we already know which one of those you need to be during times of uncertainty or any time that you don't want to go into being the fear-based. You definitely don't want to be unfocused and you want to be strategic about the things that you're doing. You talked about cutting costs and looking long-term and then finding the best way to care for your employees. And in fact, you said that one first. So <laughs> I should make sure we say caring for your employees first and then cutting costs and then looking long-term. But looking at the opportunities, both online and offline, to grow your business and taking advantage of any opportunities that maybe the government or other organizations might be offering business owners to get you through times of uncertainty while you're also growing and learning, I should say, learning and growing in that sense. You may still be growing as a company because it will depend on what's happening. You might be in a position to take advantage of the, and when I say take advantage, I don't mean that in a CD greedy kind of way, but like you, like the example you gave, the medical company, they are soaring right now just because that is the industry they were already in. They didn't make that shift to take advantage of this. This is where they already are. And so they're able to serve in that capacity with grace um, and probably ease because they were already set up to do that. And so they are growing where somebody else might be struggling. And so maybe being ready to take advantage of what you've already prepared for, and just making sure that you keep the company culture in mind and remembering that during times of uncertainty, especially during times of uncertainty, because you're going to need to trickle that down. And the podcast listeners have heard me say a million times that culture does not trickle up, it trickles down. So it's important for the CEO to remember the, that the core values and the the culture so that you can continue to pour that into your employees, especially during times of uncertainty. So I think I recapped that. Did I forget? Excellent. Ex excellent recap. That was fantastic. <laughs> okay, great. Very well done. So I want to make a little bit of a shift and talk a little bit about that personal side. Like what do, does a CEO do themselves personally to stay I guess you the focus, the strategic, you know, how how do you stay healthy? during and manage yourself during these times? What are some things that you're doing? I know you have morning routines and evening routines and visualization and manifestations and meditation. Talk to me about that stuff. Absolutely. So I'll tell you what I do and then I'll tell you what I try to make my CEOs do. Okay. <laughs> it's not always easy to teach them all this stuff because you know some are open to it and some are not as open. Yep. So yeah, on my end, you know, there's there's a few key things that I think you and I probably share a lot of similarities. I've followed all the great minds out there, you know, mm -hmm. Robin Sharma's and the Tony Robbins, and you know, so many great people. Uh, you know, Brendan Burchard with his High Performance Habits. Uh, there's some great, great authors out there that have been sharing a lot of ideas. Uh, Warren Restan, again, my mentor, taught us a lot when we went to the Global Leadership Academy uh, five years ago. And uh, you know, I, I started reading books from doctors like Deepak Chopra uh, a long time ago, and so. I don't want to turn this into necessarily a spiritual conversation because I do think a lot of it is science-backed and I think it's things that have been working very, very well for me, very practically, mm -hmm. in a practical sense. I feel that sometimes CEOs get scared off when they feel it's going in a spiritual direction. They shouldn't, <laughs> but they do. It's part of the game. Yeah. And so the obviously for myself, I have a very specific morning routine that's been even more important now uh, during this crisis. So it's, you know, I wake up and my mentor Warren taught me something very important. 
as you wake up, you should be sitting on the suggested, you should sit on the side of your bed, on the edge of your bed and set your intention for the day. So your day is going to be different. There could be days where you're you know, a CEO. There could be days where you're going to be a father. There could be days where you're going to be a husband. There could be days where you're a mother. You're a sister. It depends what your focus is that day. And you should set your intention for the day right off the bat. So what are the two or three different roles you're going to need to play? And how are you going to make sure that you're at the top of your game, that you're exceptional at those roles for the day that's coming up? But I do think it does set your mind and your mindset at the right place to start. Then normally what I would like to do is I do stretching with some visualization. So I'll do very specific yoga stretching and visualize how I want my day and my week and my month to go. And following that, I'll do a short meditation. A lot of times it'll be a gratitude meditation. So I'll be thankful for all the amazing things I have in my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I will often end that with um, either reading or journaling, uh, reading something inspiring that I want to learn about or journaling and writing a few things down. Uh, to get my thoughts uh, on paper. So those are the key things I do in the morning. I definitely try to teach all the CEOs I work with to follow that type of routine. I do think it sets your day up the right way. It only takes about 20 minutes, but done every single day, instead of jumping on your phone or jumping on your email and, and starting to go put out fires right away, which most people, you know, realistically, that's what most people do. Mm-hmm. I think it's a complete shift in, in, in the way in life philosophy. And I, it, I think it has helped, helped me tremendously and has helped the CEOs I work with a lot too. What I like to do in the evening is two things. Uh, this one thing that one of my very good friends, Hugo, locally, Boutte, he's taught me recently was to do what we call a brain dump. I don't know if you've heard or kind of heard of this before, mm-hmm. where you can do it once, once a day, you can do it once a week as well, where I encourage CEOs to just take a piece of paper and write down all of the things at the end of the day of work. So the important thing is that it has to be at the end of the day of work, because this is how you're going to close the book on your workday and mm. you know, go into a different mode, uh, which is part of having balance, right? So not just being working 24 seven saying, okay, whether your workday ends at five, six, seven, eight, I don't try to pretend to tell people what time their days should end. I think it's different <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. And so I don't want to be the person saying, you got to be down at four 30 and get home. It's not realistic for a lot of CEOs. But I think what's important to do is to write down all of the preoccupations, all of the things that are on your brain, things you have to do, things that are, you know, making you fearful for the next day, opportunities, challenges, obstacles, people you need to call, write it all down, just get it all on paper, and then take that paper and put it away in your desk, just put it away, don't look at it, put it away, there's nothing you can do, your day's over, and then when you get up the next day, and you get back to the office or you're, you know, or you're looking at it at home, make a, a mental note of what's on that list and go through it step by step. Cross out the things that were just crazy thoughts that had no, you know, no need to be, that, that doesn't need to be addressed. Put a prioritization on what you really think is important now that you woke up and had time to sleep on it and go through that list and determine, okay, here's the top five things that I absolutely have to do today. Put them in order and go one, one to five and do them. You know, and that'll give you a sense of control and a sense of clarity on your day. And one of the last things I like to encourage all of my CEOs to do is to do what we call uh, now, now. I don't want to lose the listeners uh, a little bit here, but you know what we call brainwave and subconscious manipulation, which is you know where you're really influencing your subconscious just before sleep. So what we call the theta waves. 
as brain waves and where you're ensuring before the five to 10 to 15 minutes before you go to sleep is when you should be putting in the most positive thoughts in your mind, visualizing, you know, your success, visualizing, it could be short-term, it could be long-term, but that's the time of day where you need to program your subconscious mind because then you're going to be spending eight hours, you know, marinating in your sleep. Um, so if you're putting, you know, breaking bad episodes from Netflix and you're falling asleep on that and that's how you're going to bed, well, now you've got all kinds of drug dealers and things happening in your brain while you're sleeping. You know, it's not really the best way to program your subconscious mind because our subconscious right. mind controls a lot of what we do. Everything so I think we do. Absolutely. 95%, yeah. 95%. That's exact numbers. That's true. Yeah. It's only, you're only using, you know, 5% of your conscious mind every day. So I think that that manipulating and influencing your subconscious mind is so important. And there's so many, you know, jokes and, and, and funny mm-hmm. comedies and movies about these positive affirmations in front of a mirror that, you know, that, that get made fun of. And yeah. You don't necessarily have to do that if that embarrasses you, but you know, it's a matter <laughs> of, of just visualizing yourself in a, in a successful way, you know, seeing the, the great things you're going to accomplish. There's so many different ways you can do it, but making sure that you don't end your day on a negative note. Yes. Yeah. And just so you know, most of the listeners, they are used to that this language because I'm a hypnotherapist. So they're used to this language, whether they agree or like it or not. That's what exactly. But they're definitely used to the language and talk a lot about programming and your subconscious brain and just how governed by that we are. And since we went there, um, I think a lot of our stress is based on our programming. So what would you say, what are some of those programmed stressors that CEOs experience? For example, one that I work with a lot is that you got to work hard for your money programming that people have given us. And I know if you, you said you read Deepak Chopra and he has the do less, accomplish more. I forget which number. I think it's like the fourth law of success or something like that. But do mm-hmm. less and accomplish more is one way you could think about it, but we've been programmed to think work hard to make money, but that's really not it. And so because we've been taught to work hard, we go there, we try it, we get stressed out because it doesn't always turn out to work because I know a lot of hardworking, broke people. So what are some of those, those stressors or programs that we're taught that really put us further in stress, like the whole work hard thing that you've seen your CEOs go through? Sure. Well, so again, it comes down to the type of CEO. You can see that there are CEOs that are much more. One thing that I've been, I, I learned along the way, and I don't know if you know Dr. Heidi Hanna, who's a really great energy expert, and she had no, spoken to us about, yeah, she's really someone who at our Google Leadership Academy, we, we had an opportunity to do a lot of testing with her and she tested our brains. And she, she gave us a lot of grades and, and notes and, and information on how we, we, we function as people after all these tests. And, you know, one thing that I always encourage CEOs, first of all, to understand is, do they have a high negativity bias or a high positivity bias? Mm. And I always try to explain when I give this example that it doesn't matter whether you have a negativity bias or a positivity bias. Of course, everybody's going to say, well, you've got to have a positivity bias. So if you have a negativity bias, you're doomed. And that's not necessarily the case. Oh, well, I know. Case, tell me about it because <laughs> I have a, a positivity bias. And oh, my gosh, I think everything <laughs> is going to go well. 
I'm like you can uh, I'm the same thing I, I came off the charts on positivity bias so I was really giving myself incredible pats on the back when, when, when Heidi when Dr. Heidi Hannah gave me my results and I was like you know I was all full of confidence she said by the way Sean this is terrible I said this is fantastic she said you're not going to see any blind spots ever you know you're, you're just immune to blind spots and you're going to be very naive in a lot of decisions you make yeah. so sure you uh, can have I've lived through similar situations. Exactly. I you have the same type of bias. Mm-hmm. But I think what's really important is for a CEO to understand, okay, are they more, do they have more of a negativity bias or do they have more of a positivity bias? That's number one, because that's going to shape the way you look at situations and, and you're going to look at your programming that way. Because if you have a negativity bias, what's going to happen is you're always going to think that your business is about to close. You always think that your competitors are going to come and steal, you know, everything that you have. You're going to mm-hmm. lose your best employee. And so you're going in often into that mindset and I have a few in my three groups that there are a couple of entrepreneurs who have more of that mindset, more of that negativity bias mindset, always very, very worried. So they always need a little bit more work because realistically, it's good to be aware that those things could happen. But most of the time, they don't come true. Mm-hmm. And so they've been programmed to think that all these bad things are going to happen. And so they're mostly working from a stressed and from a fear you know, based mentality, which has limit, a lot of limitations on it. So I think once we can figure out where they're coming from and, and their pre-programmed ideas of what's going to happen to their business, even though those things very often will not happen, that helps us understand the the, the way they're going to look at it. And the, the same can be said on the other side. I think people who, and, and I've, it's, it's taken me a long time to accept this, Kine, I can tell you, is that the ones that are too positive, sometimes you got to bring them back as well. And you got to say, listen, you're way too positive right now. And you're not looking, you're not understanding that right now, you know, a couple of things are really not going well. But you just you're ignoring them and you're just assuming yeah. that life is great. Uh, unfortunately, life is not just always going to be great. Business has ups and downs. It has obstacles. It has challenges. And so we got to get them to stop thinking in terms of just everything's you know rosy and everything's going to be fantastic. And for them to really understand you know where there are some some true threats to their business and for them to to look at those uh, carefully as well. And um, so I think you know when you look at the general. I work with teams, so I don't just work with CEOs. I work with their mm. entire management teams. And then often I'll work with even the next level down of managers in a company. It's a bit different because a lot of CEOs, you know, many CEOs do uh, go after a lot of learning. And more and more, I find a lot of CEOs try to be better leaders constantly. You know, of course, there's always exceptions. But I think in general, CEOs of successful companies normally are are continuing to try to better themselves every day. That's not always the case throughout an entire business. So when you see, when you talk about the programming, I think it's a little bit different from what I see when I see entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and CEOs versus, you know, just a regular, either an employee or a manager, you know, their pre-programmed ideas uh, will often be very different and need a different type of attention. Yeah, that's a great, great point. And I, and I love that I asked you that question because I love, I'm so glad I asked you because I love that you talked about the differences, you know, the, the negative bias versus the positive bias. And although us positive people think that, ha, look at us, we're storing. <laughs> Little do we know that that creates those blind spots. And, you know, and I'm learning that over the years too. And that's why I do surround myself with people who, have a who balance me out so that it's not me and my oh we're gonna launch and it's gonna be every table is gonna be full you know it's like you open a restaurant and you expect a slow trickle in right you decide yeah. to do a play and at one point there'll be 
50 people and then 150 people and then your whole place is packed. You know, it's whatever it is. You, you know that it's going to be a trickle in. It's not going to be like you're opening the doors and all of a sudden you're going to blow up because Oprah's going to come and she's going to talk about you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we all wish right? that, but yeah, you're right. No. And so in times of uncertainty, one of the things that I do personally is I watch biographies of people who I love so much because I need to see what they did during times of of adversity or uncertainty. And you you are I'm always blown away as to because you know society talk about programming. One of the programs that we we have is that everything is going to blow up overnight. And so yeah. the way that the entertainment industry mostly, but the way that the world kind of shows us life is that this person was nothing and then the next day they were something. And so yeah. we we kind of freak figure if that didn't happen to us, that there's something wrong with us. But when I watch biographies, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, this person was 40 years old before they had their big break. Or wait a minute, this person had six plays before they, you know, this person, I was, the last biography that I just watched was on the circus. So when you learn the story of Ringley Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, blow it will blow your mind because Ringling was the one circus, Ringling Brothers was one circus, Barnum had a circus, and Bailey had a circus. And they all three went through some SHIT in order to get to the point where they had to bring it all together. And when just stuff like that lets you know that like, oh I'll be fine. This crisis is cool. I mean this crisis is a crisis. But it's nothing because eventually I will get through it or I won't and I'll shift and I'll do something else. But bottom line is it'll all be fine. It's just so hard to know that on your own. But when I'm watching biographies, that's kind of like my little trick to like cool my jets and like, oh, if Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey can make it through and they was 18, whatever, I'm sure I could make it through in 2020 and we have so many more advances than they did. Yeah. I love that. I love that you take that approach. I think it's incredible. It's something that I spend a lot of time as well, looking, reading biographies and, and watching stories on whether it's Netflix or whether it's on YouTube of some of these great stories. We mm-hmm. often, as you said in the media, it's all uh, a lot of fantasy, a lot of only showing the incredible success once it has mm-hmm. become that. And we often don't see the journey anymore. And I think that that's a huge mistake. I recently read a very impactful book. I think some of your listeners would enjoy this called The Book of Joy. Uh, if you've had a chance oh. to see that, which is with the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, it's a story about how their friendship uh, has developed over the last couple of decades. And, you know, it gives, it gives a lot of incredible stories. And one thing that it does in that book and, and something that I always try to explain to CEOs that, that I work with because I explained to them that my why is to inspire entrepreneurs and their teams to find happiness and success. And I always explained to them that happiness comes before success because I don't really see the point of having success if you're not happy. So I always say that's a very important distinction. I tell that to all my clients before I start working with them. I always tell them, we're going to work first on understanding what makes you happy, and then we'll work on the success part after that. But one thing that I really like about that book, the, the Book of Joy, is the distinction that's made between happiness and joy. And one thing that it was explaining in the book is that happiness is the end result that we're all searching for. We all want to be happy. We all are trying to be happier in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. But along the way, the journey, how are we going to make the journey filled with joy 
mm-hmm. along the way. And the yeah. joy is a little bit more in the action of getting to the happiness, which I think is really important. I think that's often that not is. seen in these biographies, like you're saying, you know, there's so much stories and history into the journey, but oftentimes we don't get to see the journey on mainstream TV and then the media. Right. We just see this incredible, you know, LeBron James, best basketball player in the world. And, you know, he just woke up one day and had, you know, slam dunking balls. Like it's, it's crazy <laughs> you know, the, the amount of work right. that he must have put in and that his story and the hardships he lived through as a, as a young man. We don't get to often hear about those stories. And then we look up these people and we fantasize to be like them. But if we knew the exact story about they got there, often we'd say, well, I don't know if I'd even want to go through half those things, you know? <laughs> right. So I love that you brought the biography angle. I truly agree with you on that. That is so true. And I, I do like, you know, it's so funny. I was going to ask you the question earlier about happiness coming before success. So I'm really glad you brought that up because I think a lot of times, like you said, we're on this path and we're like success, success, success. And, you know, we're working on this this documentary and the book about the search for meaning over money and success looks a certain way to most people. And that is a title, a dollar amount, you know, certain amount of material things. And then, but along the way, there's some things that bring us joy and that's really the meaning. And that's really what brings meaning to all of the stuff that we do is that stuff that brings us joy. So thank you for differentiating that and breaking that down for us. So before we, I asked you our last question, I wonder if people were interested in getting in touch with you, you know, whether they wanted to coach with you or if they just wanted to connect with you more, what would be the best way? Are you, you're on LinkedIn, right? Is that the best way Absolutely. or is there another way? Yeah, I, I've become incredibly active on LinkedIn, especially in the last few weeks. So LinkedIn, definitely just go to Sean Johal. It's a bit of a unique name. So there's not many of us on there. You'll <laughs> find me there. And if not, then they could email me at Sean at elevationcoach.ca. That's Sean at elevationcoach.ca. You know, I even put out a video yesterday on LinkedIn, literally telling my entire network of, of 3,000 connections and whoever else out there that anybody who wants to have a conversation right now uh, via Zoom about their business, about their fears, about opportunities, about pivoting, about cost cutting, about taking care of their employees. I said, just reach out to me, you know, no charge, no, no coaching session, just a pure discussion, giving my time basically for free for the month of April for anybody who needs it. Because it's a month that I definitely have more time being at home. And so, you know, that's for your listeners as well. If anybody ever wants to reach out, that's the best way for sure. LinkedIn or email. Absolutely. And one thing I will say, and I've said this pretty much every episode, but EO <laughs> CEOs are so generous. That is, that's so incredible. So generous just to even give out your email address, first of all. And second of all, to say, not just am I, I'm giving out my email address, but at the time of this recording, April, you are giving those coaching sessions, basically, because to have a conversation with you, as we already see, and I somehow knew that, that this was going to be like a coaching session. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to go too much there, but I think it ended up going there. Yeah, well. that it, it was natural. I knew it was. I was like, yep, I already know it's going to happen. And that's really cool because that is what we need, you know, during this time. We need some direction, some guidance, and we need it from somebody who we can trust. You didn't say, follow me, and then I'm going to guide you to wherever I want you to go. Everything you said so many times during this interview has been about is right for this person. Let's differentiate these two CEOs or there's this person and then there's that person and there's the management and the CEO. And so many times during this, you've differentiated that they're different people and it, and it takes 
different people. The information is taken differently by different people. I don't know why that stood out to me, but I think that's very important because it's not cookie cutter. It's not like one size fits, fits all, whether it's coaching or friendship. And I think that's really important. And I don't know if anybody's ever pointed that out about you before, but that's what I'll remember about you. Well, I appreciate that. Actually, no one has ever mentioned that. And I, I don't think I ever mentioned it or realized <laughs> that I, I think that's something that you're teaching me today. And I, I always love to, to learn about myself and learn about the people that I'm speaking with. So thank you for that. And yeah, it does make me realize that every, you know, every CEO, every business, every entrepreneur, every manager is a person. And often that gets lost in this this doggy dog world that we're living through of trying to have this business success. I think it's really important to keep that in mind and really treat people individually with the respect they deserve. That's for sure. Yes. So I want to go to our last question and that is what is the best advice you've ever received or the advice you wish somebody would have told you? Absolutely. I thought about this one a lot and it's advice that I received a couple of years ago. And again, it was from my mentor, Warren Restan. And it's a, it's something that I tell all of my clients as well. There is for entrepreneurs, for CEOs, for any business founder out there, even a president, anybody who owns any piece of a business, there is a very big myth that exists. And it's very big and it's very prevalent and it's very hard to get away from. And what that myth is, uh, Kine, is that the day you're going to sell your business is going to be the happiest day of your life. So you're going to sell your business, you're working hard, you've been working for 5, 10, 15, 20 years maybe, and you're going to be getting to this point where you say, okay, I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, and now I'm going to sell my business and I'm going to be happy. Because most of the time, you haven't been happy <laughs> along the way. So now you're going to be happy because finally you're selling. Now finally you're getting rid of all your issues. So finally you're going to be happy. And there is a very, very um, scary reality that for most entrepreneurs, when they sell their business, and this is what my, my mentor told me, and I'm seeing it become truer and truer every day, you're selling a part of your soul mm -hmm. because you put in all of your heart and your energy and your time and your blood and your sweat into this business and you're selling it and now you've sold a part of your soul. And so now what happens next? That was a question he asked me and I've been asking entrepreneurs, okay, you sold your business. What next? Now what? Mm -hmm. Have you made a plan? Because if what's going to happen is you're going to sell your business for the first month, maybe two, maybe three. If you really stretch it, you're going to be really happy. You might go buy something materialistic that you've been wanting. You know, you might you know pay off a mortgage. You might go give money to some people in your family. You might do a few things that, that make you happy in the very short term. But then what? What's your plan after that? Because now you've sold your business. A lot of entrepreneurs also think that because they've successfully exited one business, that they're going to be they're now super successful entrepreneurs. And mm. that often is not the case is what I've been seeing and what my mentor has mentioned to me. Ooh, it yeah. doesn't mean because you've successfully exited one business that now you're an incredible entrepreneur who can start another five successful businesses. Many, many entrepreneurs struggle to find their way after selling their business. So the best advice I got was what's next? Mm. The day you sell your business, what is next? And that's what you know made me make the big move as a big transition from being a full-time co-founder to starting a coaching business. Because as we started this conversation, so it might be a good way to end it, is that it's for me, it's, it's all about impact. And how many people can I help impact in their businesses, in their teams, whether they're managers, whether they're CEOs, whether they're different entrepreneurs, whoever it is, you know, how many people can you impact and help 
make their lives better and happier. And for me, that's my why. And I think being able to impact more and more people is something that is very sustainable and I could see myself doing for 20, 30, 40 years more, you know, from this day onward. And, and I think that's something that's really important as business advice for entrepreneurs to say, make sure you're thinking about what's next, because if you're not that happy along your journey, because a lot of entrepreneurs are stressed out almost the entire way. <laughs> yeah. And then you're going to sell and you're expecting to just be happy the next day that you sold. <laughs> there's a there's a reality there that might not be uh, too fun to come face to face with. And so those questions need to be answered before, you know, a lot earlier in the process. Yeah. And that's interesting that you say that because we did an interview and and I'll put it link in the show notes referencing it, but it was called how to sell your business without selling your soul. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So that I'll put a link in the show notes for that one, because I think you reference a couple of things that we'll need to, to share with people in like the book of joy. And you talked about, was it Heidi? High performance habits. Yeah. Yeah. And Dr. Heidi Hanna, sorry. Yeah. A couple of books as well. I want to make sure we have that in because your resources have been really good as well as that good advice. What's next? Really thinking about what's next. So I want to thank you for joining me today and pouring out all of your knowledge and expertise and then even some of your personal tips and tools so that we can use them to manage our stress during these uncertain times. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm very grateful to you. This was a great experience. Oh, great. Thank you. So we will be, guys, we will be sharing all of those resources with you in the show notes. And I want, if you, if anything we said really wants you, makes you want to connect with Sean, go ahead and find him on LinkedIn um, or send him an email. And we're going to continue to bring you this search for meaning over money conversation. I will see you next week. So be sure to come on back and check the show notes for resources and Have a prosperous week, my Prospero. Thanks for listening all the way to the end, my Prosperity Pro. I want to stay connected with you. Here are four ways. Pick the one that works best for you if you want to stay connected with me. One, if you have any questions, I'd love to answer them. Send them to podcast at presidentiallifestyle.com. I'd love it if you would make a one or two minute audio message and attach it to an email. That'd be the easiest way for me to get it. Ask me anything about creating a life of meaning over money and I'll get you an answer. Remember the email address is podcast at presidentiallifestyle.com. Two, subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends because you guys might want to have a discussion about it, especially if they're a CEO who wants to shift from the old American dream to a life of meaning. Three, we try not to have any sponsors on this show unless they are truly in line with our values. I mean, really a good fit. So that means we fund this podcast ourselves. I'd like you to take a look at our resource page to see if there's any products or services that we recommend that are right for you. If not, no worries, maybe later. If so, please use our affiliate link to purchase. Thank you in advance for doing that. You are such an amazing person. Okay, four and last. 
if you want to know what's happening over here at Presidential Lifestyle and you want us to email you the update, then go to presidentiallifestyle.com slash blog slash now. And you'll see the current updated blog for the week, but you'll also see a link to subscribe to that blog. We can email it to you if you like. That's presidentiallifestyle.com slash blog slash now. Don't worry. You don't have to remember that link or any links. They're all in the show notes. Oh, and I forgot to say, if you're enjoying this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review and tell us how much you're enjoying it. And now for the legalese. This podcast is not to replace professional counsel. The best advice is from a professional who knows you and your specific situation. The topics discussed in this podcast are general in nature and for informational or entertainment purposes only. We encourage you to meet with a professional that you can discuss your specific situation with. Whether you choose us or someone else, one-on-one counsel is important, whether it's a financial, therapeutic, legal, or other decision. So that's all for now. I'll see you next episode. And remember, you can have wealth in all of its forms. Believe it, and you'll soon see it.